0: This podcast includes unapologetic logic and reason and may not be suitable for all audiences. In a world full of nonsense, he's been called the voice of uncommon common sense. He sees the abnormal that many find normal. Author and award-winning speaker, he is Chris. I don't know if you ever heard the saying, long in the tooth. You know what it means? Means when somebody goes rambling on about things that really don't need a lot of time to be discussed, a lot of talk about nothing. I guess you could say. Maybe there's other ways to look at it, but that's how I always think. Along in the tooth, shut up. Like listening to uh, Kamala Harris, and therefore we see things now that we had never seen before, because without our presence now. We would not be able to see what we see now. (laughs) Thank you, Kamala. (laughs) And up is up and down is down. Crazy. Anyway, here we are. Christmas is over. The holidays are done. Not really. We've got New Year's coming up. Uh, A buddy of mine reached out to me. Hey, what are you doing? I said, hanging out with you. And he said, great, but I don't know if I'm going to do that now. Why? Why would I not want to do it? Because I don't really like him that much. No, that's not true. Um, I wouldn't mind hanging out with them so much. It's just uh, I got things to do. I got a busy year planned, and I'm looking to get some stuff done. You know, the whole world's in chaos. Everybody's all ticked off, sourpuss, long in the tooth. And I'm just like, I don't have time for this. I got things to do. I got a life to live. I can't put my life on hold because uh, uh, the CIA decided to put Biden in office instead of Trump. Now I think they're going to bring Trump in to clean everything up or at least to, or take us through the next stage. I don't know. Anyway, um, coming back off the holidays, before I get into the topics at hand, let's ease into it a little bit, shall we? We needed we need to be talking about constitutional philosophy every minute of the podcast, do we? I don't know. I'm still kind of deciding where it, what I want the direction of the podcast to be next year. I have a couple of ideas, but that's not what I really brought it up either. I have a lot going on. I have a lot of energy, a lot of things that I'm excited about, put it that way. But uh, coming back after the holidays, um, which were were very enjoyable. Uh, I got to speak to my son. We were up in New York. I'll give you a little update on that. Got back last night. It's uh, Tuesday here, the 26th. I'll post this podcast tonight. You'll get it tomorrow, Wednesday. But it's still Tuesday for us. Recovering from Christmas, you might say. I got up this morning. At uh, 8 o'clock, I slept until. I never sleep that late, man. I can't remember the last time I slept till 8 o'clock. I'm sure I have. I just don't do it a lot anymore. Usually, I prefer I'm get up at like 3, 4 in the morning sometimes and happy to do it, really. Um, I just come to love that quiet time. But either way, this morning, from the hubbub of Christmas and uh, I did pop a little whiskey on, on our Christmas which we celebrated on Saturday at home just kind of lounging around enjoying giving gifts to each other and a lot of food a buddy of mine stopped by that was a nice little visit and then we are up and out early Sunday morning, boom, out to dinner up in New York City, it's very stressful for me um, and you know, visiting and sleeping in a different bed and all that got home when did we get home it was pretty early about eight o'clock I guess we made a great time getting back from New York City and um had a couple of nips just to finalize the celebration and started nodding off in the chairs I was having a great conversation with my daughter and I said I'm going to bed whatever time that was 10 10 o'clock 11 o'clock last night probably 11 o'clock something like that so it was a good nine-hour sleep for me, nice extended break. But what do I do? What do I do? I sleep in late. What do I do when I wake up? Same thing I always do. Boom. Right outside. Right outside. I just, uh, it was a great trip up in New York, but I didn't get to get outside. It was just, I was actually just looking around. And, um, and I don't say any of this to speak negatively about New York. I actually love New York. It's a shame to me to see what's going on up there. Um, But it really is an incredible, incredible, incredible city in many ways. That said, there is no way I could live there. And as I get older, I don't even know if I want to be there (laughs) at all. It's really strange for me to explain it to you. But a big part of that is my desire, my craving, my need to be outside. You hear me talking about it. Why do I talk about it so much? Well, a couple of reasons. Number one, I don't see people outside enough. <laughs> and, it, and I know for myself, having gone through an extended period, many years, not many years, but quite a few years, where my lifestyle was heavily inside as opposed to outside, and, and I know what it did to me, how it negatively uh, affected my health. You know, and, and just to give you a, a illustrative example of the difference, I remember times where people say, Are you tired? Why? Well, your eyes look sunken and I'd look in the mirror and be pale, and my eyes would be dark and overweight and malnourished. Now people will say to me, How come you're so tan? Where have you been? I'm like, Outside. They'll be like, No, really? I'm like, "I'm seriously, it's a thing. It's called sunshine, UV rays, maybe you've heard about it. And um, and I just say that to say you know from going from a face that looked sick to a face that looks radiant. <laughs> my words, <laughs> nobody else is telling me I look radiant, but you know what I'm trying to say. It's so much healthier, and my mood and my um my health reflect all that it really does anyway, I was right outside. Uh, of course, I overate. I had a little whiskey, like I said, because I'm human, too, and I like to enjoy myself. So what did I do? Right outside, I fasted for about 18 hours, came in and um, made a big old breakfast sandwich loaded with protein. I put three eggs on there, about a half pound of bacon, and three slices of cheese. Yes, I did, right on that nice plain bagel that I had picked up before I left, just thinking that I was going to come back and have a hankering for a good breakfast. And after an 18-hour fast, that's exactly the case, uh, I was starving. But that's not the first thing I ate. The first thing that I had was a little smoothie. And let me tell you about this little trick that my wife uh, set my daughter and I up with. So we have one of these fancy blenders. I don't even say it's fancy. It was a kind of a knockoff thing I got pretty inexpensively. My wife used to have like a $400 blender, and uh, I said to myself, it's a nice blender, but it's ridiculous to spend that kind of money, in my opinion, for an appliance like that. It's just not worth it. And, uh, you know, so the now we're, we're functioning just quite nicely with the $40 version. I think the expensive one, I fixed it twice, and I'm like, I'm tired of working on the, <laughs> on the $400 blender. But anyway, my wife got us these little cordless single-serve juicers. And let me tell you what you can do with that little puppy. This morning, so I'm fasting now. And and to do a little intermittent fast like that, um, I'm sure it affects a lot of people differently, but I don't think this is too atypical either. I was very sluggish. I was getting a little nauseous. I didn't feel good. Uh, There's a lot of reasons why people explain that that could happen. Part of it, the toxicity leaving your body. I don't know if I subscribe to that. But um, anyway, your body's used to being fueled. And then you deplete that, and you feel differently. And, um, you know, it can ebb and flow, but generally it's not a good feeling, at least not initially. So by the 18-hour mark, I was feeling a little, uh, and I'm like, I need a little pick-me-up. So I take this little juicer, you plug it in, you can recharge it with a USB. It's cordless, fantastic. Put a couple ounces of water in there, a little bit of crushed ice right from the refrigerator door, peel a banana and two oranges, whoop, <laughs> juiced. And there was a banana-orange little smoothie. And you're getting the sugar from that. Now, you know, you get into the whole health aspect of all that. Um, but I don't believe that in that case um, that that sugar in that fashion is bad at all. I think a lot of people agree with that, getting a lot of good nutrients. And especially with the the oranges at this time of year. And it worked. I mean, by the time I was halfway through the smoothie, I was like, whew, I feel good, energized, pumped up. I don't know about pumped up, but I felt good. I ate my sandwich and— um, I was full, and then what I'm going to do, I did that at um, about 10 o'clock in the morning. And then I'll have lunch at around whatever. We'll see when I get hungry, 3 or 4 o'clock, and then I'm done for the day. And we'll see. Last year, the reason I tell you all this, um, last year I threw on like 30 pounds around the holidays because I like to eat and enjoy myself around the holidays, as I think people should. This year, I said, hey, I want to be able to eat and enjoy myself, but I can't afford to be throwing on 30 stinking pounds. I didn't. I, I've kept uh, a reasonable weight, um, and I feel like I'm in pretty good shape. So um, if you haven't followed that, uh, guess what? It's not too late. Here's the process. Get outside. <laughs> Get some movement in. Um, I'd go into the workout here in a second, but and then do your intermittent fasting. And get rid of all the processed foods, man. That's. did you mean, just do that. Start drinking more water. Eliminate processed foods. Start walking. Um, and you know, if you don't want to walk, people don't want to walk. Then don't walk. Dude, come up. Do jumping jacks. Do jumping jacks for twenty minutes. And do you're not gonna. You don't have to do them straight. Do them for a minute. Stop. Do them for a minute. Stop. Break it up if you have to. Do something. One of the things that, and maybe I'll try to talk about this more this year. I should put it in my notes. I'm going to do that, actually, right now. Um, I want to talk about the subject of, where's my pen? That's great. I have the tablet, but no pen. I'll have to wait. Uh, The subject of effort. It dawned on me that there's a lot of stinking lazy people in our society. I don't really like to talk like that. But if you're one of them, you might want to consider changing your habits, quite frankly. I mean, to me, it's no way to live. I get mad at myself. You know, I was getting a little older. I don't have the energy that I always did. I thought I always did. I don't know. It's my energy levels go up and down. Quite frankly, I don't know if it's because I'm big or because I'm lazy. But the point is, I constantly push myself. Come on, let's do a little more. Do a little more. Do a little more. And that's the effort part of it. And I don't see a lot of people. I see that the gyms. I don't go to the gym anymore. But you probably heard me talking about it back in the day. How do you go to the gym and not sweat? <laughs> it just doesn't even compute for me. Doesn't even compute at all. Now I'm not saying that every time I go to the gym I'm a ball of sweat and his workouts, so you just don't sweat as much. But if you're going to the gym on a regular basis and you're not sweating, you really ought to ask yourself what the hell you're doing there, quite frankly. And I think you could apply this to all areas of your life. Let me go to the gym and mope around and talk to people. Like that makes a lot of sense, right? You're gonna walk out of there more depressed with that approach. Anyway. I'm just trying to share with you what works for me, and uh, you could do, the, do what works for you. Um, anyway, I get all that done. I have my smoothie. I have my breakfast, and uh, I'm getting ready for the podcast and uh, just getting ready for the new year, new to-do lists, and I get excited about this. I really do. I'm taking my, my to-do lists and my goal tracking in a new direction, testing something new with my checklists, and there's a lot, a lot, and I'm excited about it. I'm hoping to share some of that. We'll see how it goes as time goes on. Um, But I got all that done, kind of settled down. I said, you know what I would like? (laughs) Uh, A nice cup of coffee. I didn't really drink any coffee over the holiday by design. Why? I didn't want it tearing up my stomach and the ups and downs. And I just decided what was one of the things I was going to keep to a minimum. I didn't have any. Well, today I had a cup of coffee. And uh, I brewed it strong. And um, I put my little secret ingredient in there. Do you know what that is? I haven't talked about this for a very long time. I don't do it as much as I used to, but anyway, I put about a, a teaspoon, a level teaspoon, you'll need a lot, of mesquite powder in there. Uh, it's a mood enhancer, an energizer, uh, all natural, of course, a little bit of creamer, sweeten that with a little bit of stevia, which is a natural sugar-free sweetener. Not everybody likes it. It's not sugar, um, I'm told it still causes uh, insulin spikes, so it's not you know you, it's not best to use it given the option. But anyway, that's not what this cup of coffee was about. This cup of coffee was about a cup that was going to energize me that I could enjoy, and uh, it's just that's a, another point I want to make to you with the workouts, the lifestyle, all of it. I'm looking to how do I get more horsepower out of this engine. How do I reduce my, um, my pit stop times? You see what I'm saying? How do I increase my performance? How do I feel better? How do I come out of this in the best mood that I can be? Well, what does that equate to? Proper nutrition, proper rest, proper exertion, effort, um, doing things that are interesting, not depressing, like moping around the gym, not sweating. Go, if, you, if you're one of those people, you know, somebody right now is scratching and going, I don't really sweat at the gym, and I'm going to put you in a whole mental spiral right now. You know how many people I put in a mental spiral over the soft hands comments? <laughs> My hands are a little soft right now, if I was going to be truly honest. But I'll tell you what, I could still swing an axe. I could still, still uh, shovel. You name it, don't you worry. I'd be able to do it. <laughs> My hands aren't that soft. But anyway... Um, effort, going to the gym, not sweating. If you, you know, if that's you go in there and, and do supersets for 12 minutes straight till you're about to puke, just do it once. You'd be amazed. You'd be like, damn, he was right. Just go in there and do, do, do pick four exercises. It's gotta be like compound movements. All right. So you're going to go bench, um, rows, upright rows, and um, flies, something like that, okay, maybe you have to, I'd have to think about it a little bit more, yeah, let's do that, flies are a little more isolation to finish, all right, you could go even more, go, do as much as you can of that, so you're just exhausted, and just go biceps, triceps, biceps, triceps, biceps, triceps, shoulders, these are all old school gym techniques to just hammer the muscle, and um, you don't have to use a ton of weight. I'm talking about sweating. Instead of going, you know, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do six to eight, three sets. <laughs> you get in there and you start pushing like your life depends on it, and maybe you'll actually get something out of the workout. I only want to do eight. <laughs> get the hell out of here. Effort. you I guarantee you, you go into the gym, whatever you do, and you step it up for 12 minutes. You can't do that for 12 minutes. That'll be enough to get you sweating. Go do it and tell me I didn't just do you the biggest favor anybody's done for you in years. Try it out. You'll see what I'm talking about. I'm a little riled up. I had this great coffee with the mesquite powder in it. Anyway, let me tell you about the little workout that I did. So First, I get out there this morning get some outside time. That's just waking me up. Waking me up in the natural sunlight. You'd be surprised what that does for you. It changes everything right out of the gate. I don't know what it is, but it does a lot. Get out there. I was walking around, cleaning up the yard, throwing some balls around to the dog, making sure the yard's looking good. We are gone for a couple of days. Got all that done. What do I do? Went into my leg laterals, my high knees, my body weight squats, my mountain climbers. And just slowly did that, right? I've been driving a lot. And here's what I wanted to tell you. You You're going to have to find a workout that works for you, your age, your condition level, and all that. But I do want to tell you a couple of things. Number one, the effort, like I said, if you put a little bit of effort in, you put five minutes of hard effort in a day, in, in something that you need to improve in your life, and you'd be shocked. You'd be shocked. The results you can get out. Ten minutes, you'd be absolutely blown away. Anyway, uh, for men over 50, I want to tell you, I've been talking about this thing with the hip hip strength. And um, I don't really want to get too into the biomechanics and, and all that. Go research it for yourself. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not a physical therapist. I'm, I'm just a guy who tries things out and try to find what works for me. And this is one of them, man. Um, you know, what it has done for my back. And just, I, here's a huge, I can't believe this. I told you a couple of weeks ago I was able to do lunges again that my knees were bothering. It wasn't my knees at all. It had to do with my hips. And David Goggins talks about this, man. He'll be like, you know, you think it's your right knee, and it turns out that it's a pulled muscle in your left hip causing that. And I'm just amazed at the, the biometrics and, and how it's affected me and how weak my hip muscles had gotten. And it's very, very common in men over 40, over 50. I don't think it would hurt anybody to work on – you know, we talk about core strength. Everybody thinks of their abdomen and maybe their lower back. But those hip flexors and basically from the mid part of your leg to the mid part of your back and abdomen, that's your whole core as I see it. Either way, one of the big things that I noticed, doing lunges all of a sudden I could do that. Well, we're driving up to New York two hours. It's about, it's a little under two hours for us from where we're at now. We got home in like an hour 45, man. I was trucking. I I actually, I told myself I was a little too fast with the family in the car. But anyway, I still have a little need for speed. It was, I got into a conversation with my wife's aunt at Christmas. I don't like going fast. I have the opposite problem. <laughs> I just like to do everything quickly, very, very quickly. Skiing, motorcycling, bicycling, driving. It's just a curse that I have, I guess, but I need to let that go. Um, Anyway, working out, sweating. Where was I going? The hip flexors. Driving up there an hour and 45 minutes, it used to be a problem for me. I'd have to pull over and stop because my back, my knees, my legs are bothering me. Cramping up, whatever you want to call it. I didn't have any problem. No problem at all. You tell me that was all related to my hip flexor strength. Amazing when you think about it. So if you're a truck driver or you drive a lot or you work in an office, I'm telling you, you need to work on your hip and your core strength. And it's not hard. You could start with the high knees. You just stand there and you know march, pulling your knee up as high as you can. A, you can go on YouTube. There's a million vari- uh, variables of that. Mountain climbers is basically the same exercise except you're in the push-up starting position. I do mine on 14-inch push-up stands, which puts me at a bit of an angle. I don't have to get down on the ground because I'm old and fat. You see what I'm saying? Nothing wrong with this. Put your hands on the hood of your car and just pull your knee up high, right, one and the other, just alternating back and forth. Do that 20 times for each leg, and you will be amazed at what it will do for your back. You could do leg leg laterals. Um, you could do them to the back to tighten your glutes, do your body weight squats, put your hands behind your head when you squat down real slow, real deep, spread your legs out a little bit, get a good deep stretch stretch out your pelvic muscles. I think it even pushes the pelvic bones out a little bit, man. My hips start popping, cracking, lower back, crack, pop, pop, and everything's going back into alignment and you're building that strength. It has been phenomenal for me. Anyway, the last thing I want to tell you. Seems to come up pretty frequently. And that is dealing with muscle cramps. And uh, I think that's the thing as you get older, too. People have trouble staying hydrated as they get older. I want to tell you, uh, especially through the holidays, I worked hard. I did, I stayed hydrated. And um, I, for me, it's a chore. I got to drink like over a gallon of water a day. And that takes a little bit of reminding to stay on top of that. But anyway, hydration in itself, I don't believe is the answer to the cramps. People say magnesium. There's a lot of information out there on magnesium and uh, what you can, can absorb and what you don't, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I've taken potassium, but at the end of the day, the thing that I have found best for curing cramps is to simply eat a pickle or two. And I wouldn't be afraid to eat one or two every day. I think that vinegar has good digestive stuff for you, which I think is a big part of the cramps. Don't ask me why. And ultimately, I think it has to do with the the water retention, the fluid levels being off. So that's why I say just drinking water in itself. Anyway, that's my uh, health, wealth, and nutrition uh, updates for you. Um, I want to give you a little update on this new book that I'm going to be releasing January or February. We'll see. As with everything that I work on, it seems to take a little bit longer, but it is moving forward. Um, I do fully expect that it will be published, so we're going down that path right now. It's a big decision to make, i got to tell you. Um it'll cost me uh quite a bit of money to get this thing. I self publish it. Um so it's a big financial investment coming at a time. Um, you know, we're we're human here too. <laughs> uh not infinitely wealthy. And uh and I just got off the phone arguing with my insurance because the damn homeowners rates are up like thirty percent. Doing what I can do to get that knocked down. Um we got to put a new air conditioner in. I'm going to add a heat pump. I've been telling you a little bit about that. That's going to knock me back a good chunk. And uh, we got some other things to take care of on the house. We need a new hot water tank and things like that. So, um, you know, we're going to be dropping some money at the same time that I'm looking to publish this book. And, you know, I have a family and I have obligations, too, and I have to be responsible. And it's been part of the reason why I've been waiting, quite frankly, is that I wanted to make sure that, uh, I was satisfied that financially we were good through the hollow. And I, I, I knew we were. I just, you know, costs are a lot higher. We're getting clobbered with oil costs, insurance costs. seems like every time I turn around, it's another doggone thousand dollars. It really does. I'm sure you're dealing with the same. And, uh, and, of course, I have my little hobbies, I guess you could say, like the two air rifles I just bought and the arrows and, <laughs> and this and that and whatnot. Um, but anyway... It all comes around, right? And it takes money to make things go. And uh, I just, I have to do, you know, what makes sense for my family first. So here we are. And it gave me time to continue working on it and uh, fine-tuning it a little bit. But we're going to uh, make a couple of last edits to the cover. And um, I'm going to probably call tomorrow to start the process with uh, the publisher. The first step will be they'll put the order together. Send me a bill. <laughs> Once I pay that, uh, then they'll connect me with the editor. Funny how these relationships work, right? Um, this book, um, I don't want to give you the title yet because um, it uh, hasn't been registered yet, and I want to make sure that um, I don't run into any problems with that, but um, it's about the battle at Kofji, Marines fighting at the battle of Kofji. And uh, I just had a small group of uh, inner circle reviewers on the book um, by design all veterans uh, one active duty um, one from my I'm sorry one wasn't a veteran but close enough um, mostly veterans active duty one from my unit and uh, my brother Mike who took the trip down to Paris Island with me encouraged me to write the book in the first place and um, I'll be talking more about it as we get up I'll start hyping it up a little bit but um I can't tell you how excited I am It is a message in this book and it's uh, and actually the the um the, I went through the process of getting feedback from my small core group and um my son called me and said you need to make it longer and I think I might have been telling you the story and uh I did I worked on that over Thanksgiving and um we changed the cover because uh my other brother Michael a Vietnam veteran army veteran shot down in Vietnam he said this cover sucks. <laughs> and you know what I said? I said, Well, thank you for being honest. These other creeps, I asked him to review this thing. It looks good. And, no, I'm kidding around. I shouldn't say that like that. I appreciate the time and energy of everybody who looked at it. And they spent a, everybody read it. Uh and like right away that I sent it to it. It was amazing. Um, I shouldn't even joke, around. I really appreciate that too. But anyway, it was uh it was my other brother Michael. He said this cover sucks, you gotta redesign it. And, um, and we did, and it was worth it, man. It really was. So the feedback really helped, and I love that collaboration. This is something that you know. I believe if you read the Bible, um, is one of the things I got to talking to my daughter about on Christmas. It's so important to your foundation, your spiritual foundation. Where do we come from? What do you believe about that? And if you really believe that we evolved naturally from pond scum, just just given enough time, if you just stir a bunch of stuff in the pot. And somehow, given the right time and temperature, like a baby's going to pop out of that. Um, it's really weird to me. Now, I don't know that we know the whole story, the Big Bang, where did God come from? You could just go on and on and on. Um, but I do believe in, in that we have a, a spiritual nature. And I don't believe that this world and our being here was some random event. I really don't. I do believe in a Creator God. Whatever that is, I don't know that we even begin to understand it, really. But I do believe in a creator God, and I would say to you that that belief foundationally shifts many, many things. Many, many things. But I had a great uh, discussion with my daughter about that um, and, and what that means. I forget why I even brought that up. Um, but I'm excited about next year. I'm excited about the book. Um, what did I bring? was I bringing the sub for about the creator God? I just talked myself. I'm being a little long in the tooth there. See, that's something I said that I was talking about in the last podcast. I don't want to do that anymore. That just killed it. I should have made a note there. It's hard for me. I get so deep into what I was saying that I completely forgot where I was coming from. And then you're listening and so you listen and think, what the hell's the matter with this guy? He's losing his mind. No, it's just, I have, this is the note I have here. You can see it in the show notes. Book update. And I start talking and uh, I start getting into this rambling damn thing. Creator God, good. At least I got that message out, right? Um, I'm thinking about um, becoming Twitter Blue Check certified. And I'd welcome any input on this. What are you guys thinking about Twitter these days? I'm on the fence a little bit. A couple of weeks ago, I was pretty certain I was going to pull the trigger on it and go ahead and get on Twitter. Now, I don't know, man. I don't, you know, it's like, and I'm like, it just seems, it's so tempting from a marketing, you know, it's like, oh, get out there and, you know, draw people into the podcast. And it will, I know it will. I, there's a, definitely a tie to that. I just don't know if, uh, and I look at what's going on now and I feel like it's losing its, uh, everything that Elon said, the free speech. And I saw this with Gab. I don't think it's possible, man. They come out and like, oh, we're going to be completely free speech. And then you start listening to how people talk, and they're like, well, maybe not free, free speech. <laughs> maybe paid free speech. Oh, well, that changes everything. Okay. <laughs> I get it. I've said this to you before. I mean, you start with the pornography. Do you want pornography on social media? You can't have that. At least you have to have a way of blocking it. There's got to be a certain level of decency. All right, now what's decent to you? What's decent to me? To some people, pork is not decent. You see what I'm saying? And you say, the hell with them. Okay, well they're going to they're gonna say the hell with you too, and that leaves us where we're at right now. Anyway, what do you think? Should I go on Twitter? It would be good for the podcast. I don't know if I can do it. It's like it's like not being outside. I, I we got back, and uh, as I was finishing up the, my little morning ritual, I thought to myself, I I would never survive in prison. I don't know if I could go. I really don't. I don't know if I could be taken alive because uh, it, would, it would just destroy me. Like, I need to be outside. I'd, I'd rather be on the lam running through the woods, live like that, than cooped up in some building somewhere. I just I couldn't do it. Wouldn't be, I don't, the social media, I think it's kind of becoming the same for me. It's like being in the city. It's just, it's just I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like social media. All right, well, here we are, 30 minutes into the podcast. I actually have some important things I was hoping to discuss with you. You know what? Before I do, I'm going to take a little break. Don't worry. You won't even know I was gone. I'll be right back. See that? Told you. You'd barely notice I was gone. Here I am. Back at it. (laughs) Um, Anyway, uh, 30 minutes into this, here's my big question for the day. I should have started with this, maybe. I should have worked that out before I got started. That would have been the right thing to do. Let's just do all the podcasts twice. If I do it do it the first time as a dry rehearsal, and then uh, we'll actually have one that's coherent the second time around. Here's my big question. Should news outlets be required to disclose advertisers? I don't know if I mentioned it on the podcast. I believe I did, but I know I mentioned it in some conversations I was having. And that is this idea that today you're not really getting news at all. What do I mean by that? Uh, I saw this COVID information, right? And we talk about the the disinformation from the, the quote, left, from the, quote, liberals, right? Now, there's a few people that point out, you know, Trump's role in this. And I guess for the purposes of COVID, he's no longer a Republican or something. I don't know how that works. But, you know, all this misinformation gets blamed on the left, the liberals. And I believe there's a lot of blame, quite frankly, to be cast in that direction. Fauci and many others, purely evil, what they did to us. The lies, uh, the squashing of ivermectin, and, and on and on and on, okay? And then and doing it in the most vile way, right? Um, however, I've noticed the rise of, I guess you would call it, right-wing misinformation. I don't know. If, if everything uh, that, the, that the establishment did, if you will, is you know, blamed on the liberals because they're in the controlling uh, the government right now, um, then certainly the resistance would naturally go to be blamed on the conservatives because here's what I saw. it basically a scare tactic saying that uh, the CDC was taking wastewater samples to hype up fear of COVID. Um, there may be a little bit of truth to that. It was basically being used to create – it wasn't shown as an article, but it was shown as a, you know editorial or op-ed opinion – and uh, it was pretty clear to me that it was an advertisement for homeopathic remedy. I don't, I don't even know if you can, it was included ivermectin. I don't think you can consider that homeopathic, but um, whatever you want to call it, you know, for alternate the, to the vaccine. Um, and, you know, which is all fine. I would actually go that route myself before I would go the, the medical route necessarily. That's me in my situation. That's not good for everybody. And it's not really right for me to go around as a non-doctor without proper information to be to be saying things like that in the first place. That's problem number one. But, you know, it is a free country. People are free to speak. And if people are stupid enough to listen, then, you know, I guess it's, you know, I don't know, what do you say, uh, it keeps the population in check? I don't know. Um, but anyway, um, the point is that it was very clearly to me that it was – Uh, propaganda in the other direction, hyping up COVID fears. I don't see the CDC getting ready to step in and do anything. Quite frankly, I could be wrong about that, but it doesn't appear that way to me. And they were trying to, Oh, they're taking samples and you should get, you know, stock up on this kit would be your first step. And, um, I don't think it was transparent is my point as to, you know, who's, who are these people getting paid by now? What's interesting about this is that uh, and you, you, for some, I don't know if the walls have been lessened or what the deal is on this, but basically, it used to be that, you know, if I was getting paid by uh, Pfizer, let's say, and I was going to talk about the vaccine, that I would need to disclose that, that I was getting paid by them. Is Fox News doing that? Is CNN, MSNBC? No, they're not. Uh, is, are the makers of ivermectin? Where's their money going to and where's it coming from? how do we know and my question to you is should there be required transparency in that in that area I mean look if if um, I see that they were bashing Southwest Airlines over the weekend second year in a row problem I love Southwest now pretty clearly they're having some indication of some problems I don't know if you saw the uh, they sent that kid to the wrong city did you see that how the hell do they do that? I don't know. I really don't. Like, you have know, his tickets, they're going to get clobbered for that. It was a remi- memory to me. Um, I used to fly alone as a kid. My parents were separated. My father was out in Wisconsin. My mother was here outside of Philadelphia. In West Country Hocken, if you've ever heard of that place. Kind of grew up there, really. sweetland Elementary School. Basically the ghetto, really gray water ran, ran down the streets uh, back back in the day when I was a kid so you, you'd run your washing machine and it would pump it out into the street and you'd have all this gray water <laughs> Na- it was like third world country nasty it right here outside of Philadelphia in the, in the late mid to late 70s and then it would freeze in the winter and you'd go slip and fall on it <laughs> who knows what kind of little particulates were in that one. it would just all run down like that right into the Schuylkill River and the Schuylkill River was completely contaminated. Anyway, all that's changed now. But anyway, I saw this article, uh, story, rather, bashing Southwest Airlines. And uh, I used to love to fly as a kid, so it caught my eye. They shipped this kid to the wrong place. But what other thing caught my eye is I thought, who's, who is Southwest Airlines pissed off politically? And who's not paying their dues, I guess? Um, you know is are, the, the, are they getting is the media getting big advertising money from delta and american that they want to squeeze out southwest or is is southwest a uh, contributor to the trump campaign so the you know the uh, liberal establishment's going to go at them either way this political terrorism i call it corporate political it seems to be bouncing around the political per- look at what they're doing to elon musk they're going to investigate the guy. They think they already are. They have been. What am I talking about? So it's kind of crazy when you think about it. what's the basis for this stuff? Nobody even really knows. Everybody under investigation? It's, it's crazy. How how is this America? Is this, you know, how do we reestablish those values that were so important to this country that led us to be a leader in the world? You know, the secrets didn't change. The way people are approaching it has changed. And and what does that mean in simple terms? Well, it means that the media has no freaking credibility anymore. Why? Because they're taking the money like anybody would. If you would even the playing field, what am I going to do? If, if, if some big name came along tomorrow and said, Chris, we want to pay you to advertise on the podcast uh, or just that we support your cause, right? Which happens? Private individual, corporate sponsor. We support you, man. We're going to give you X dollars a month. Just a couple of conditions, okay? What's those conditions? Can't talk about Trump. Can't you know whatever? Or maybe they own stocks in an airline. Or they they're hey, listen, I'm I'm a I, you know suppose the 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 I don't know the founder of Delta. Or the, I don't know anything about the company, but you know suppose somebody or, or Elon Musk. He says, look, I really support what you're doing. I'm going to pay you for this, but you can't say anything negative about Twitter. That's the rules. All right. Deal. I'll do it. And that's why I don't advertise on this podcast. If I was going to do an advertisement podcast, uh, I would do it differently in a lot of ways. My question to you, in the interest of fairness, in the interest of preserving a very important or restoring an important institution of journalism – that they are required to disclose their advertisers. I believe that it, that and probably other requirements, but um, I believe it would be a good thing to, uh, to look into. No infringement on the First Amendment there. You are free to publish what you want, but you need to let your audience know who's footing the bill for this. Simple act of fairness, in my opinion. It'll never happen because it wouldn't be beneficial to the political establishment any more than fixing this problem with the the robocall scams. All the robo-texts that I get are political stuff. Go figure. Maybe somebody did it to me. Somebody sabotaged me. Let me put them on this list. Make sure he gets a text every time a a politician scratches their backside. (laughs) Um, All right, let me get into a couple stories for you. Buses uh, dropping asylum seekers, they call them now. <laughs> asylum seekers. They're all asylum seekers. And that's what they've done now. They educate them on the way up the trail. They say, no, you know, you're, you're here to seek asylum. You've been raped. You've been kidnapped. You've been beaten, robbed. Can't practice your religion. Uh, whatever horrific stories you can come up with. And now this is the new term, asylum seekers. Asylum seekers. This is an important shift in this conversation, believe me. A subtle little headline that dropped out just after the holiday, asylum seekers. And I'm sure it's in other places because you and I both know that the, the news in this country is also centrally distributed. And maybe that's another thing that should be disclosed. Everything needs to be disclosed to to at source where it came from with links that you can clearly see who the people are that are behind it. But anyway, sticking with the point. Buses dropping off, quote, asylum seekers. So listen, 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 listen. Why is this important distinction? It has a different meaning. And if you go look at the whole Hamas way, the the, the, um, pro-Palestinian movement looks at the world through their view of justice, it is one of oppressor and oppressed. Right? The Palestinians are oppressed by the oppressor, the Jews. How can you say that with a straight face? They attacked Israel. Because the Israel lives better, and they have more money, and they're lighter skin, So that's the, that's the basis of the evidence that they provide. So you take that same logical thinking, not my logical thinking, but the way some people are looking at things, and they now say asylum seekers. That's very different than migrant. That's certainly much different than illegal immigrant, right? Asylum seeker. Ooh, what does that mean? Disadvantaged person in the most human way. <laughs> I'm sounding like a Cassio cortex These people have been robbed of their dignity in every human way. And that may be true. I don't know. And, you know, I don't like to be victim-shaming. And, and and rumor and gossip is a bad thing. And it would pain me to think that I would sit here to laugh something off and come find, you know, Because actually is a lot that goes on. But I really haven't found much direct evidence of it. I'm not saying that. These Latin American countries, some horrendous living conditions. I believe there is. Um, but let's just stick to the point that we have people coming here illegally. And they're now calling themselves, quote, asylum seekers. And in, under these new rules of oppressor and oppressed, those asylum seekers are going to be viewed by those on the progressive left as having rights. They have a right to to be here they are asylum seekers they have a right to pursue the right of happiness they have a right to free speech they have a right to be here as much as you do and I have to tell you that's the first part of the story the second part of the story and the reason they put it out there that the buses that they wouldn't take them in Chicago and um They sent them to a nearby suburb and dropped them off at a gas station. This, to me, is plainly stinking evil. What a breakdown of our government. This is the—I get a little upset. You know, especially coming off of Christmas, we're supposed to be reevaluating our humanness. And as much as this illegal immigrant problem needs to stop and we need to take care of ourselves first, which I truly believe, these are human beings. So and we don't owe them anything. We don't owe them anything. But we certainly don't owe them a bus ride from the border out to the middle of nowhere with women and children out in the cold. I've argued this for a long time. And no, I'm not saying give them apartments. I, I said this a long time ago. You want to find out what the true damn intentions are. Where are these people going? Who are they going to be with? What kind of work are they doing? I hear people complain, oh, all you see is uh, you know, military-aged males. Listen, I got to tell you, for the most part, I see these people coming across. I'm not super worried about some kind of an invasion. I'm not saying it wouldn't be problematic. I do. It's why I'm bringing it up. I'm not like, these aren't, if, this is, if this is the, um, you know, the the, the warrior brigade, boy, the times, <laughs> times have really changed. But these are the working males that are going to come here and establish things and get working almost as good. I look at another story, a woman with her three children. You know, she claims she was raped and one child kidnapped and this and that. And you don't know what to believe with this stuff. There's no way to know. And uh, I'm not going to discredit her, but I'm not going to say that I believe it either. But either way, now we just step back and we take away, take away the emotional side. And we've got a practical problem here, right? How is this woman and her children going to be provided for? What are you going to tell me? We're going to put the, these non-speaking kids in the school system? She's going to go work? <laughs> I don't see this as a good deal for our country. Why isn't her country taking care of her? Well, they need help. And there's another issue I keep bringing up. So I I said a while ago, by the way, there should be refugee camps along the border, provide food, basic necessities, vet these people, find out truly what their intentions are. What are they really doing? Are they coming and working? Why aren't we being told the truth about it? But this story, by the way, I want to tell you, dropping off these illegal immigrants in the middle of nowhere. Listen, it's a huge security problem. Because when, when put yourself in the shoes of, of some father with children or mother with children, at, at how hungry do the kids have to get before your acts of desperation turn violent? It creates a real, real tinderbox. And it's not freaking fair to anybody. And God forbid we go a step further and find out why They're having these problems down there because there's a a big indication that it's our own meddling that's causing the problems. Like what more could we do to hurt our own country? And why is it happening? I believe it's all happening for the, uh, for the financial gain. This whole white replay, there's a couple, you know, there's 10 people that believe that that's not why it's going on. It's going on because of the money. I believe that most of these people are going to work, um, I'll base it on this. Let me roll that as a segue. Uh, I put here in the show notes a tweet from Tony Saruga, if I'm pronouncing that right. This guy posts some interesting stuff. This was actually originally posted from the libs of TikTok. uh, Happening now in New York City. New York City thrown into chaos on Christmas as pro-Palestine protesters clash with police. Reports of multiple police officers injured and protesters shouting, Allah Akbar. Um, So I was in New York City. We drove, um, came across the Holland Tunnel um, and um, came up the East River Expressway, I guess it is, up to about 23rd. We walked around about six or eight blocks or down by Wall Street, um, came through the financial district, um, crossed under the Brooklyn Bridge. And, um, so we're basically Manhattan Lower East Side Financial District and, um, didn't see any evidence of any problems. None. The city was the quietest I've ever seen. Eerily quiet. Now, I will say this to you, um, that area that I just described to you generally doesn't have any problems, usually in, in Brooklyn or some of these other areas, um, I think they've been sending protesters out to Staten Island, which I guess is a Republican area out there. Um, however, my brother-in-law, who's coming uh, to the uh, to our dinner, was late due to a protest, but just a few minutes, and he didn't report anything of anything uh, exceptional going on with all that. So why do I say all this? Because we're being li- We're being like you know you heard the term the uh, the 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 f- uh, four dimensional chess it was it's something that was said about trump with his basically his disinformation and you know keep people guessing kind of thing well i feel like that's what's going on with the immigration thing what are the real numbers what is the real impact going on why is there this sensationalism this blowing up new york seems pretty fine to me the best i can tell that the real problems are that this mayor is corrupt as hell <laughs> He's so corrupt that, that the, the liberal administration is going to put him under investigation. What happened with that? Just went silent. They took his phone, took some other things, and then nothing. They give him a little behind-the-scenes. You didn't send enough up to Uncle Joe. I don't know, but it sounds to me like the mayor's completely corrupt. And um, I, I could be wrong as far as the immigration issues in, in New York City. I don't doubt that it's having some kind of an impact. It, Say something like 100,000 immigrants there, it's, it's crazy. I do notice that um, seemingly everything up there now is delivered on electric bikes and electric scooters. It's incredible the uh, outfits and things that these, these riders and delivery guys have to stay warm and to uh, carry these things. What a great business model, in my opinion. But there's a billion of these things around, and it's all immigrants. You want to talk about fighting-age males. That's where you'll see a lot of large, physical black men, right? And I didn't see any indication of it. Perfectly peaceful. Um, so, I don't know. That's my assessment. And either way, keep your head on a swivel, I guess. Um, this asylum seeker, let me go back to this a second. This is the beginning of them establishing rights to be here. And this could really cause a big fight. It really could could be the tipping point. Let me give you, a, a, and by the way, me talking about the New York City, I, I don't mean to downplay the, the risk and the, and the in, impact of this. Uh, I'm just not sure that the fear-mongering, um, I'm not sure that we're not getting a large degree of fear-mongering. I don't see how that's helpful at all. Are there, you know, militant training camps in this country of any kind is that even allowed? How could it be? Can't believe there's laws against that. Maybe there shouldn't be. We could go on and on, but I'd like to at least know. But on the immigration, maybe that you know is, is uh, things that are kept confidential for other reasons. They're just monitored, which is fine, um, and maybe that's all okay. But why aren't we being told the truth about this immigration? So important, in my opinion. Let's talk about the economy for a second because there's a couple of things that I saw here that just came up. I have like a huge list of stuff to talk to you about. Um, but this story, um, I said I'm going to have to put the other stuff on the back burner. The U.S. debt will become unsustainable and trigger default in about 20 years if it stays on its current path. Um let me tell you something I'm gonna to go to the uh u s uh debt clock. let me see I should have had it up here debt clock um we're gonna cross thirty four trillion as I've been watching it let's see here yeah thirty three trillion nine hundred and forty eight billion rapidly approaching thirty four trillion what does that mean in that terms a hundred and one thousand dollars. For every man, woman, and child in this country, that's obscene. It's not going to take twenty years at this level. If you look at this number, these numbers on the debt clock, and this is another thing I was thinking about, including in my uh, at least as a weekly report to you, um, the things that are going on financially, um, I see as as being a real a real problem. Um, analysts looked at the twenty six trillion of U.S. debt held by the public, which excludes money the federal government owes to itself, overall outstanding $33 trillion, that self being the um, Social Security. And, you know, here's here is the misconception about Social Security that people don't understand. It's totally uh, communist in its makeup. People look to compare... You know, investments compared to Social Security, and um, there's no comparison. I mean, our investments are well outperformed in every way imaginable, anything that we'll see coming out of Social Security. Um, for pennies on the dollar, it's incredible. The way Social Security works is basically there's a pool of money that's div- divvied out, mostly evenly. I guess there are different breakdowns on that compared to what you paid in and so forth. Right? There are levels to it. But it's, it's not distributed, you know, based on rates of return. It's, it's based on, on more what's being paid in, paid out. And there is a fund there, the Social Security Trust Fund. And um, they say that that's going to be bankrupt, I think, by 2030 was the call on that, something like that. And that may be the date that this is tying back to this idea of 20 years away that we can't, we can't continue to borrow from that fund, not to any level. It could become really catastrophic that we have in the first place. Um, anyway, is, is that article coming from uh, let me see here, Insider Market Insider. You know, so that's pretty liberal leaning to be talking about the debt problem. Okay. Then there's this story from Market Insider. A, I'm not an economist either, by the way, so you can decide for yourself. A default cycle has started amid the Fed's high interest rates. Um, so my brother-in-law, I mentioned, who got hung up in the protest in New York City, hung up by the protest, I should say, um, he's a, a banker. And I asked him, I said, you guys seeing defaults? And he said, no, they, they keep their stuff clean. They work pretty, much. That doesn't mean that there isn't more brewing, which is kind of the allegation here. Um, what does all that mean? Um, I'm not an economist, but I know this. Uh, the FDIC has recorded huge um, write-downs and money that they've had to inject to keep these banks solvent. Nobody's really talked about that, and we may be at the very, very beginning of it. I don't think that these banks and companies in, in you know, half the market, it's like the housing. <laughs> Let me use this analogy, and I don't know. I'm not sitting on a pile of information like Market Insider. But here's what I see. You have right now a, a record number of homes in this country that are owned free and clear. Do you realize that? Like, like slightly over half of all the homes now. Then you have this corporate buy-up that, that's unprecedented, an investor infiltration in the market. I also don't think that we're hearing the truth about that. I could give you a whole podcast on that, the good, bad, and the ugly of all that. Um, there's, a, there's a good side to that investor money coming in. But anyway, here's my point. I think the same thing is going on throughout the broader economy. Half the homeowners are sitting back, and they're going, man, I'm not really worried about this at all. I don't need to move. I own this place free and clear. Um, If I needed money, I could get a home equity. I could do a reverse mortgage, but um, that might dry up. And even if it did, people that own their house free and clear uh, usually are doing pretty well financially in other ways because they've generally been been at least somewhat – smart about their money, if you will, or lucky, however you want to put that, or maybe a combination of the two. Now you have people that fall somewhere in the middle. We have a mortgage. It's a very, very low rate. Um, we have a lot of equity. We financially strategize in my, our situation to carry a mortgage, uh, a small mortgage. Um, so we're sitting pretty, pretty good in that regard too. No plans to move. Um, now here, my only thing is the cost of living here and this house is is high and i worry about inflation in that regard um, just you know outside of the mortgage even um, but here's my point you have half the country sitting with their homes owned free and clear and the other half probably way underwater if the market shifts 20 30% like it might and that's a huge disparity there and I'll bet you're seeing the same thing in business. you know, the half these businesses have no debt, huge cash reserves, and they're just waiting for a downfall for buying opportunities. And then you've got the other half of the businesses that once the market shifts 10, 15 percent, they're going to be out. I don't know, but my point is this if it happens and you start seeing large defaults, real estate values are affected banking is affected ability to get credit is affected everything slows down, slows down Um, that being said, I don't view all that as the end of the world, that I don't believe is the most fearful thing of all this we probably uh, need an adjustment in some way and the idea is to move through that quickly we don't allow that anymore Um, so where's all this headed? where's all this headed? bottom line Taxes are going to go up at some point, And I think we're getting closer. I've been talking about this for a good 18 months. My intuition tells me that we're going to across the board, start to see double-digit tax increases. And it's going to hurt, man. It's going to hurt. I'll tell you, uh, I just got the phone with my homeowner's insurance company. The renewal bill came back 30% higher than the year before. I just switched to this company last year because the year before, the same damn thing happened. The price of my homeowner's insurance has literally tripled in three years. Now, um, I'm not paying it. I didn't pay it last time. I'm not paying it this time. But I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to end up paying double, not triple. Thinking I'm, I'm, think, I'm talking like Joe Biden talks about inflation. I'm acting like I'm saving money here because, because I'm only paying double instead of triple what I was paying. <laughs> it's unbelievable when you think about it. I mentioned to you about the oil heat. I look at that, and you know, I thank God every day that we have this and the means to be able to afford it. God is good, I'll tell you, because I don't deserve any of it. But it, it bothers me to think of people, you know, hardworking, maybe making $20, $25 an hour, $50, 60000 a year. Even if you have two income, you have a young couple making, he's making, she's making 60 $65, The other one's making 40, 45, you're at 100, 110 combined income. Man, if, if you're trying to buy a house, I've gone through the math on this. At $110,000 a year, young couple income. And, and you know what's funny about that, by the way? and talk about all this wage increase stuff. That's a bunch of bunk as well. I look back, I cleaned some pay stubs. Out. I was making. $45,000 a year back in about 1994. What was that? 20 years ago? 30 years ago. 30 years ago. 30 years ago. I was uh, I was making about 30000 30, a year working for an engineering firm. And I went to work for my father handling purchasing for him. a year. Now, to be fair, he was paying me pretty generously. And there was a reason why. We don't need to discuss right now. That experience, by the way, have you ever heard me talk about this app that I've built? It was that time working for my father that I gained that database development knowledge all those years ago. Anyway, it was that job. and I was actually buying my first home during that transition. It was so funny. I didn't know much about it was my first house, and I took the job and quit my job before we closed, and they called me, they' are like, you're not going to get the loan now. I was like, What? I had to jump through hoops to show that I had that job and uh that and then that jump in income going from thirty to forty five. so I think uh, that was my first wife. Not that I needed to mention that. she was probably making about thirty. I'm guessing I don't really remember. And then I was making forty. We together, making sixty. Then we jumped up to 75000 a year. And we were able to quite comfortably afford a payment on a townhome and two car payments. I drove a Dodge Dakota. And she had, it was like a, a Ford sedan. I forget. Uh, hers leased. I had a payment. I remember, I can't believe it was 30 years ago, $275 a month for that little truck payment. I would love to have a truck like that now around the house. I really would. A little put putt that I could just putz around in and even drive around the yard. That's what I got to look for. That's what I need. Anyway, I got off track there. See that? My point is at a combined income of $75,000 a year 30 years ago, I was buying a home, had a nice lifestyle, starting a business, building home equity, and look at where we are today. You take that same couple, maybe they're at a hundred and ten thousand a year, if they're lucky, and I could go through. What's the car payment going to be? You know, so it's not double. They're not making double, but costs are more than double, probably triple. And it's just I don't know how young people do it. I guess crazy financing or whatever. So I look at my. I just look at the, I see what I see through my lens. I try to look at it through other people's lens. And then, you know, a $75,000 a year family income. I mean, this is not exactly chump change we're talking about. I know it's not a lot of money today, but these are not, you know, uh, whatever, junk jobs. What do you say? Then you're going to say taxes are going to go up. And um, this story caught my eye. Germany should pay a Ukraine tax to fund the war. I'm surprised that hasn't come up yet here. But this is the one that, that jumped out at me. You know, government keeps all the spending. Like, ah, we're gonna have a problem in about twenty years. Climate change. It's like, no. <laughs> but the budget, they're like, nah, we got plenty of time. We got plenty of time before we run out of money. There's really no need to be. We've been out of money for a long time. We've always figured out a way to print more. <laughs> that was pretty funny, wasn't it? Maryland dealing with a multi-billion-dollar budget shortfall is weighing proposals to tax the rich, targeting capital gains from stock earnings, broadening real estate taxes, many other ideas. Um, everything is on the table, uh, said uh, Senator Howard, I guess. Everything is broadly on the table. Um, you haven't seen anything yet. I mean, when they when they need money badly and you say, well, the millionaire's tax. Who's that? All those people that own their homes free and clear, all those white people, all those old white people. Now, there's a few of them that are, that are black, Asian, Jewish. I don't know where Jewish people fall in. Jewish people white? I don't know. I don't know how that works in this goofy world we're in. But when they talk about a millionaire's tax, they're talking about hitting up whitey for more money. And I, I asked myself, you about this in, in property insurance. You know, why is this happening, guys? Like, wow, you know, inflation. Yeah, how much of it's happening because of the riots that went on a couple years ago? And now the bill's coming due for that. And they're not going to get it from Pedro, no disrespect to the asylum seekers. So I got to pay it. How much are we going to bear? And how much before it breaks the system? How long before it breaks the system? Which is why myself and a lot of other people say, be prepared, be prepared, be prepared. And by the way, with that, I'll leave you with this positive message of hope and prosperity. No, I mean that, really. Um, Even through difficult times, the Great Depression, the Civil War, uh, there's been people that have had great lives, done great things. These cataclysmic events, I don't think are even, I think that's also misinterpreted, misunderstood. And just to illustrate that, I use the example of New York City. There, if you were to look at the news, you're like, oh, my God. I don't know how people are going to get through that. It looks horrible up there. You just think that everybody's, you know, walking around the streets beating the hell out of each other nonstop. And it's not even remotely true. You know, there's probably some little scuffle with some, you know, a meth head that got caught up in the protest. Um, I, that's my assessment. I, I'm not – I think this, uh, this Palestine, pro-Palestine crap is – is it could be very well fizzling out. You know, they, I hear all this news media about, oh, we're going to be seeing lone wolf attacks, and we're going to be watching. Look, all these things are possible. Where's the evidence? And seeing any of it. Not seeing any of it. And I would say this to you. Besides immediately sealing the damn border, the next best thing that we could do for this country is very simply— Creating an economy of, of um, excess, of abundance. Because, you see, when the, when the output is efficient, right, when the whole system is working and all the wheels are moving, you know, that's why these taxes and the millionaire tax is going kill, to kill things, absolutely kill things. What's going to happen? Yeah, Whitey will pay, but Pedro is ultimately going to get the bill, too. Because when we go to New York City, either we're not going to order out. We'll go pick it up ourselves like we did for the Christmas dinner, my brother-in-law, thanks to him. And you're not paying the tips and the delivery driver. It suddenly doesn't the asylum seeker suddenly doesn't have any work. And it just perpetuates a downhill cycle. So I would say to you, the best thing we could do would be to be, begin building economic prosperity. And I think that a lot of people, even though they might hate him, are seeing that and they look at Trump as being the, uh, the best option to do that. And it's so funny to me because um, – This idea of um, uh, stirring the economy in a positive direction by reducing regulation and bureaucracy and increasing public investment in the right places in foundational items, such as, okay, if you're in a period of a recession, you know, could public spending on a new power plant be a good idea? I would say yes. Maybe the development of a waterfront district or a dock or a pier for trade and things like that, a hydroelectric dam that also provides water to Northern California um, and things like that. Um, I, I think those are good uses of public dollars and good ways to spend. But we see so much, you know, $5,000 visas to illegal immigrants being paid through a government-funded company. So. In other words, for the, every immigrant that gets a $5,000 card, it's costing us $15,000, 10000 for the company, 5000 for the first company, the shell company, 5000 for the company that actually hires and pays these people, and then 5000 they actually get to the immigrant. Probably something like that. I'm telling you, the waste is unbelievable. And so when, when we're putting money into social programs, encouraging people not to work, Um, It's not good for our future. Everybody should be encouraged to work hard and and make a a solid contribution. There's so many different fields where we're starved for people. You know, we should be talking about technical schools, training schools, seal the border, stop the immigration. But we can't, and and the reason we can't is because we can't afford to because if we don't keep that pipeline running full bore, there's no way we can keep the lights on, and there's going to be a reckoning for that. And sadly, we don't have remotely any kind of leadership that's uh, prepared to deal with that going through that adjustment like they're going through in Argentina. That's going to be the story to watch to see what, if this guy can actually rebuild this country from the ruins. Maybe we'll talk about that later. I was talking about it the other day. i got to get out of here. It's been a long podcast. It's good to be back. I'm excited about the new year. I hope you are, too. God willing, I'll be back. Where are we here? Wednesday. I'll see you. Friday's the plan right now. I'm thinking, by the way, about maybe going back to uh, every day uh, coming after the new year. i got mixed feelings about that. Uh, I'll be back on Friday. God willing, make it a great day.